Good morning. Uh, it is really, really cool to be joining you this Sunday morning. And uh, my name is Reese. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. I primarily hang out with uh, the youth and young adults in our church, but for the next three weeks, we get the uh, mutual privilege, I guess, of hanging out together. And so this is going to be like uh, a really interesting next few weeks as we dive into a new series together um, after doing 12 or 11 or 12 weeks in the book of Daniel. And so this series is going to be a little bit different. It's simply titled Faithful. Faithful. And really the heart of the series is this, is that we would acknowledge that faithfulness is a core attribute of God. And scripture is chock full of stories in which God proves to be faithful to people. And we're going to celebrate those stories together over the next five weeks. And it's going to be a fun time. This morning, it was really interesting. I feel like I heard a number of times, whether it be in pre-service prayer or even um, from here on worship or Mindy, like just this word that we would have like, like a breath of fresh air that we would just like feel uplifted. Um, I, one of my favorite words in scripture is this word, uh, it's, it's an ancient Hebrew word, it's called ruach. Ruach is, uh, has a few different meanings. Um, it does mean wind or uh, like fresh wind, but it also means breath of God. And so we see this word in Genesis 1 when uh, God breathes into human beings, but the same words used when describing the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And so uh, I pray that this morning wouldn't just be a breath of fresh air for you as much as we need one in this muggy little sanctuary, but that it would be the breath of God that fills you and that you would leave here marked by that experience. Amen? So I'm going to pray once more, and then we are going to dive into the message. So, Holy Spirit, we ask for more of your presence here this morning, that we would acknowledge it and that it would be felt, and that uh, for those of us coming here this morning who need that uh, breath of fresh air spiritually, that it would be the breath of God that fills them, your Holy Spirit. What a gift. So as we spend time together this morning, would we all be encouraged, uplifted by your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, this, this series is simply titled Faithful. And this message is simply titled Forgetting Faithfulness. Forgetting Faithfulness. The uh, reality is, is that we all forget things, don't we? Some more than others. We all forget things, uh, whether it's 
leaving your, your keys in the car or whether it's uh, forgetting to water the plants, that's me, or whether it's, um, you know, coming to class and realizing that that assignment was due today or uh, going to work and realizing that you double booked yourself and you have two different meetings at the same time and now you have to figure that out. Uh, we all forget things. And a lot of the time, uh, our forgetfulness uh, has pretty minor consequences. Uh, sometimes our forgetfulness uh, has larger consequences. Um, I have had a few of those in my life. I'm going to tell you about a close call that I had recently. Um, I just officiated my first wedding. It was for two close friends. And round of applause. <laughs> Milestone. And so we, uh, we did the wedding on the beach in Point Roberts. It was beautiful. It was sunny. Um, we had to climb down this huge flight of stairs to get to this open beach where the backdrop was just mountains and blue ocean. It was stunning. And it was really cool to do that with a few of our close friends. And in the lead up, anyone who's been a part of a wedding knows this, is that um, there are two families coming together. And uh, that means two different traditions coming together. And one side of the family uh, was passionate about bringing this tradition into the ceremony, which was there was going to be a table off to the side of the altar and on the table, there were two candles. And in the middle of the ceremony, uh, these candles would be lit by family members. And it was supposed to signify like the lasting burning covenant of uh, marriage. And so I agreed. I said, of course, we're going to make time for this important family tradition in the middle of the ceremony. So the big day comes. Uh, and we're all up there, and I'm going through my notes, and we're going through the ceremony bit by bit, making sure I'm covering everything. And I think in my mind, I, you know, this ceremony is going surprisingly quick. And I come to this point where I'm like, I guess it's time to wrap it up. And so I say... Uh, you know, it is my absolute privilege, like I'm gearing up to uh, celebrate this, this marriage. And uh, my friend, the groom, he just gives me this look, like this side eye. And I go, oh my goodness, in my mind. And somehow, by the grace of God, I swerved that sentence into saying, it's my privilege to light these candles and we're going to do this. And it was a close call. <laughs> I tell that story because I know how many of you love to relish in these kind of stories when it's other people, but you hate them when it's you. <laughs> and so we all forget things, some small consequences. Some have small consequences. Some have larger consequences. So uh, this morning, ultimately, I want to land in this spot where we acknowledge our own forgetfulness, specifically our own tendency to forget 
God's work in our lives and how God has moved in our lives and remind ourselves of God's unending faithfulness. This is the overarching theme of this message. Despite our forgetfulness, God remains faithful to us. We are going to read this morning two different stories in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and it follows the narrative of the Israelites, the people of God, escaping Israel, or sorry, Egypt, and the oppression they were under in Egypt. So we're going to look at two stories in which the people of Israel forgot about God's work and how God responded to his people. So first and foremost, if you have a Bible on you, or if you have your phone, get to the Bible app, and we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Once you find yourself there, read with me. Starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers, all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea in front of Balzaphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to, to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, 
which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. So God's rescuing of Moses and rescuing of the Israelites occurred after a number of plagues awakened the Egyptian pharaoh to let the Jewish people go back to their homeland. And there was this celebration, the first Passover, as Israel worshipped God for bringing them out of slavery and into freedom. It was a miracle what had happened. A miracle that had clearly only come from God. And Israel fully acknowledged that. They said, only God could have done this, brought us out of this situation of oppression and slavery. So as Moses and the people of God made their way out of Egypt, instead of leading Israel through like a well-known corridor, straight back to their homeland, the promised land, God leads the people through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. God guided his people through the wilderness, a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. And if you can imagine, it could not be more obvious that there is a powerful God leading these people out of slavery into freedom. It could not have been more obvious. So, God speaks to Moses. I'm just providing context here for what we just read. And I love the depth of relationship between God and Moses throughout the Exodus narrative. God says to Moses, in, in summary, he says, take the people to camp between Migdol and the sea. And when you camp there, Pharaoh's going to think you've all lost your minds. But I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's going to bring his whole army, and they're going to come and destroy you guys. But I'm going to do something, says God. I'm going to do something so profound that my glory will be on full display. So all the Egyptians, this whole army will come to know me and worship me. Moses has a deep relationship with God. He does not even bat an eye. There's this depth of relationship here in which this trust has been built. He remembers how God did the impossible to bring them out of Egypt, and he knows that God is faithful in carrying out his promises. Yet, as soon as the Israelites saw the Egyptians marching after them. Why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? What are you doing? They're crying out to the Lord. Weren't there enough graves for us back there? Why are we dying out here? Leave us alone. They cry out to God. Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. 
It's better to be slaves to the Egyptians than to be a corpse out here in the wilderness. That was their heart's cry. Israel forgot. Israel forgot. And I think we can all see, as we pause and reflect on this text, we can all see some interesting psychology here at play with the Israelites. Even when there's the promise of something better on the horizon, even when God had done miracles before, even when God was clearly leading them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, he was present with them, they would rather deal with the suffering they know than step into the unknown and risk trusting. Even when God showed up previously to provide, Israel cannot seem to recall that kind of deliverance. Israel forgot. There's this famous saying that goes something like, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. It's this mindset that's born out of broken trust, but it definitely doesn't hold any sort of remedy, does it? And so the Israelites, they were in this compromising situation, and they showed, and they said to God that they would rather turn back to the oppressors than rely on God, who brought them out of slavery in the first place. And I can't imagine for God how offensive that would be to him in that moment. After the astounding miracles, how offensive, very. But God is not like us. He subverts our expectations regarding how he responds to the Israelites. And so when we finish the story in Exodus 14, and I'm sure you have read about it or heard about it, we read about a miracle so outlandishly dramatic and so full of power. God splits the Red Sea. He divides the Red Sea, makes a way for the Israelites to escape. And he reveals his power to the Egyptians, his glory to the Egyptians. But he also responds to the lament of the Israelites with a grand showing of faithfulness and favor. Isn't that incredible? How would we respond to such a show of broken trust? God doesn't respond like us. Despite Israel's forgetfulness, God remains faithful to them. The second story that we're going to look at is found in chapter 32. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 14. So would you just flip a number of pages to Exodus 32. We're going to look at verses 1 to 14. Now let's read together. Verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us, 
up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Back up on the mountain, the Lord said to Moses, Go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me, let me alone, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the lands of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land I give that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing over his people. So up until this point, between what we read in Exodus 14 and now 32, we have seen the Israelites follow God post-splitting of the Red Sea and really grown to trust him. We've seen the Ten Commandments established between them and plans for the tabernacle and the temple put into place. And it seems that things are becoming harmonious and reflective of that trust and that love and that faith between God and humans that existed in the Garden of Eden. What happens in chapter 32 is like a harsh blast of cold air on a cold winter day. All of a sudden, things get turned upside down. Theologian Terence Fretheim, he puts it best when he says, regarding this relationship between God and Israel, entering chapter 32, that harmony turns to dissonance, rest to disturbance, preparedness to confusion, and the future with God becomes a highly uncertain matter. So Israel builds 
a golden calf to worship. Why? Why would they do something so absurd after all that they had been through? I think what makes the matter so complicated that it's not just a matter of, of disobedience or of idolatry. It is very much those things. But it's also a matter of forgetfulness. It's also a matter of forgetfulness. Forgetting the faithfulness of God that brought them from bondage into freedom. Conflating the God that made himself so known to them with the pagan gods they may have been familiar with in the past and conflating the two. They're forgetful. And there's so many parts of this story that we just read that just leave us shaking our heads. From Aaron's, who's a leader, complete willingness to allow the people to construct the calf to how blatant the construction of the calf goes against the first of the Ten Commandments that were just gifted to Israel. And yet the focus of the story shouldn't just be on how blisteringly quick Israel forgets about what happened in Exodus. The focus should be heavily on how God responds to all this. Theologians have wrestled with this text. People who study the Old Testament have wrestled with this text and how God and Moses come to terms with Israel's destructive forgetfulness. And so we're, as we read this, we're reminded of that continual question that God asks, uh, specifically in Hosea 6, uh, what shall I do with you? What shall I do with you? And here's what we're not going to do right now, as so many people do when they read this text. We're not going to uh, have this debate of whether or not God really changed his mind or uh, about Israel's fate or, or not. That's a conversation for a different time. What I do want to focus on is the theme of this whole message. How God remains faithful to an unfaithful and forgetful people. Israel does its worst, its absolute worst as a group of people. And God has his best on display. God shows his faithfulness to Moses, and he shows his faithfulness to Israel. And when God promised that he would multiply their descendants and bring them to the promised land, he meant it. He really did. He's gracious, he's merciful, loving, faithful. That's our God. And that is on full display in this text. Despite Israel's forgetfulness, God remains faithful. He spares them. When we can't see God working in our lives today, like he may have before, We build up these things to try and resemble God, even though we're pretty aware that they're not the same thing. We forget God's power, and we try trusting in the power of 
a number of different things. We try trusting in the power of government. We try and uh, have government try and resemble God in some way. That's something that people do when it's been a long time since they've seen God at work in their lives. Or trusting in financial stability or prosperity. It's another thing people do when they've forgotten about God's power and work in their lives. That is idolatry, just like the golden calf. But I also think for those of us who fall into that, that we've just forgotten. That we've just forgotten. We've forgotten what it's like to live a life fully relying on God. Fully trusting in him. Saying, I will go anywhere. I will do anything with you, Jesus. A lot of us have just forgotten. I've been there. We've forgotten what that life is like. To follow him, to pray deeply, to see him move and work in our everyday lives. And in our forgetfulness, we invest and we worship fakes. Here's the great news in all of that. God still loves us. More than we could ever know or imagine. That kind of love is perfectly summed up in Philippians Chapter 1, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul writes this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul writes about God's love as this persistent, hardworking, chiseling away kind of love. Like a master craftsman who doesn't just rush and build something or who gives up on a project every time someone who broods over it who just like obsesses over it works on it until the day of completion a true love that's faithfulness that's what we're talking about in this series to wrap up here just in a minute. I'm not your biggest um, fan of Adam Sandler. I don't know if there's any Adam Sandler fans in here. A few. But I love the premise of the movie 50 First Dates. I'm also not a huge rom-com fan either. It goes somewhat typically in which the man falls in love with the woman and makes every attempt to woo her into considering this relationship with him, pulling out all the stops. The dilemma in the story is this, is that the woman has short-term memory loss to the degree in which we can't, she, she can't remember what happened the day before. And so... The man decides to pursue her again, just like he did the day before, and again, and again, and again, and again, each and every single day, even though the woman forgets what happened the day before. 
The people of God throughout Exodus and the Old Testament consistently forget about God's previous deeds. Like, almost to that degree. Yet God faithfully reminds them again and again and again and again. Worship team, I'm going to invite you guys to come forward as we close. Uh, I love seeing this at work in the Gospels, where we see the account of Jesus' ministry and life, death and resurrection. So in the Gospels, Jesus, who's God in human form, comes face to face with people. Not as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, not as a burning bush, not in the holy of holies in the tabernacle, face to face. Face to face with people who perpetually forget. Can't seem to recall the truth behind God's previous deeds. Can't seem to recall the truth behind Jesus' purpose on earth and what was prophesied. One of those people is Peter. Peter forgets. He forgets Jesus' promises to him, denies him during the crucifixion, runs from him during the resurrection. I love reading the final moments in the Gospel of John. The scene that's described to us, it's Jesus and it's Peter, and they're sitting on a beach together around a fire, spending time together. We don't know how long they were there together, but we know it's just Jesus and Peter around a fire. Jesus wants to help Peter remember. He wants to help Peter remember something. He leads with a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, yes. Jesus follows. Lead my sheep. We tend to forget like Peter. And he reminds Peter of his identity as a follower and lover of Jesus. And reminds Peter of his purpose as the rock on which the church will be built. We tend to forget these things in our lives too, our identity and our purpose, what God has done in the past. We forget what God has spoken to us and we forget how God has delivered us. Maybe that's you this morning. That Sunday is this effort to try and remember something. There have been moments in the past where you may have experienced God to an amazing degree, but it has been years. And you're not sure if that was just for that time and that place or that was contextual. And you come and you're looking for a reminder of that same God who did that thing for you at that time. 
God is faithful to you. He is faithful to you. He who began a good work in you, a good work in you, is faithful to complete that work. And so, he's not going to leave you. You can trust that. He's not going to give up on you during this time. You can trust that. Despite our forgetfulness, God remains faithful to us.